Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. It's time for Lombardi Memories. So to take you back in time, into January February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play for the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips. You can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. And, um, please <laughs> look at my books because I have not gotten any sales in a while. So, it's kind of embarrassing, but, um, yeah, I have Nifty 90s and Great 80s as well as my Penn State book and Penn State Bowl Games book. So, Check these out if you're interested in football. For now, though, today we've got Super Bowl 40, which was held on February 5th, 2006, at Ford Field in Detroit, Michigan, the second uh, Super Bowl to be held in Michigan, between the six-time AFC champion, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the first-time NFC champion, Seattle Seahawks. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, who was the last non-quarterback to throw a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl before Antoine Randall threw one in this Super Bowl 40? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The Pittsburgh Steelers were left for dead after week 13. They had lost three games in a row, including one to the first place Cincinnati Bengals. At 7-5, they were in a bad position. Yet, it wasn't so bad. Steelers didn't need any help to make the playoffs. Four wins in a row would get them in the playoffs no matter what happened. So, that's exactly what they went out and did. Running back Jerome Bettis ran all over the Chicago Bears for a 21-9 victory. Then the Steelers crossed Minnesota, Cleveland, and Detroit on their way to an 11-5 record and the number 6 seed in the AFC. No number 6 seed had ever reached the Super Bowl. In fact, no number 6 seed had even reached the conference championship round. The Beast Steelers went on to the playoffs, and they're on fire. 
quarterback Ben Roethlisberger led the Steelers to three road victories to reach the Super Bowl. The first one over AFC North champion Cincinnati, Bengals quarterback Carson Palmer was injured on the very first play of the game, and the Steelers went on to win 31-17 against John Kitna, the backup quarterback. Next, the Steelers went on to Indianapolis when they take took on the top-seeded Colts. Peyton Manning and company were heavy favorites, but Pittsburgh came out on fire and took a big lead. Manning brought the Colts back within three points, but then the Steelers got all the way down to the Colts' one. Ben handed the Bettis for what seemed to be surely a touchdown, but Bettis somehow fumbled and Nick Harper picked it up for the Colts. Only Ben stood in his way of a touchdown return, and Ben made the tackle to save the day. The Colts later missed a tying field goal, and the Steelers won 21-18. The Steelers then dominated in Denver on their way to a 34-17 win over Jake Plummer and the Broncos. Ben was in only his second season as starting quarterback, and he had solid numbers, 2,385 yards, 17 touchdowns, only 9 interceptions, passer rating just south of 100. Receiver Heinz Ward led the team with 69 catches for 975 yards and 11 touchdowns. Tight end Keith Miller was second on the team in receptions, and receiver Anton Randall, a former college quarterback, was third. Running back Willie Parker was the dynamic threat in the Steelers' backfield. He rushed for just over 1,200 yards and four touchdowns, while Bettis ran for nine touchdowns, but only 368 yards in a reduced role. Of course, Super Bowl Forty was in Detroit, Bettis' hometown. What better time to go to the Super Bowl? Meanwhile, over in the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks had no problem making the playoffs. They started the season 2-2 two and two before going on an 11-game winning streak. They lost a meaningless season finale to the Green Bay Packers to finish 13-3 with the number one seed in the NFC. Their playoff games weren't very memorable. The Seahawks beat Washington 20-10 and the Carolina Panthers 34-14 to advance to their first Super Bowl in franchise history. Along the way, the Seahawks became the only team to play in an AFC Championship game back in 1983 and an NFC Championship game. League MVP Son Alexander took the lead by storm, rushing for 1,880 yards and a league record 27 touchdowns. That didn't mean the Seahawks were all running. Quarterback Max Hasselbeck threw for just side 3,500 yards, throwing 24 touchdowns as opposed to just 9 interceptions and a passer rating similar to Ben's. Seattle didn't have one main receiver, rather they were receiver by committee. Whether it was Bobby Engram and his team-leading 67 catches for just sort of 800 yards, or Joe Jervisius with a team-leading 10, 
touch on receptions, or maybe even Daryl Jackson, DJ Hackett, trash-talking tight end Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> Seahawks had weapons all around. But Stevens did too much talking in the weeks leading up to Super Bowl Forty, making him a prime target for Steelers fans. As for Bettis, he hoped to retire after winning the Super Bowl in Detroit. The Steelers were technically the home team for this game um, because it was an even-numbered Super Bowl, and all even-numbered Super Bowls, the AFC team is the home team. But the Steelers chose to wear their white jerseys because they had won three games to get here in white jerseys. So that forced the Seahawks to wear their super-ugly monochrome uniforms. The Seahawks got the ball to start the game. Hasselbeck threw a couple of passes to Daryl Jackson to begin the drive, picking up a first down. Alexander ran for an eight-yard gain, then Jackson hauled in another pass for another first down. The Seahawks' drive ended, though, whenever linebacker Clark Hagan sacked Hasselbeck on the play where the Seahawks were called for holding. Punter Tom Ruin kicked it away for a touchback. The Steelers committed two false start penalties and had the punt. Seattle took back possession at their own 36. Hasselbeck scrambled for a nice gain to the 44, and Jackson hauled in his fourth pass to move the ball to the Pittsburgh 45 with a first down. But a holding penalty brought the Hawks back, and they ended up punting again. Ruin repeated his first kick by putting this one in the end zone as well. Pittsburgh went three and out again, and Seattle got the ball back at their own 49. Alexander ran for four, then Jackson caught his fifth pass of the first quarter. That tied the Super Bowl record for most catches in a first quarter, with Bills receiver Andre Reid. Hasselbeck threw to Jarvis for another first down. He then went play action to the end zone, and Jackson seemingly had his sixth catch of the quarter, and this one for a touchdown, but hold the phone. Jackson pushed off the defender while making the catch. That wiped out the reception and pushed the Seahawks back. They ended up settling for a 47-yard field goal by kicker Josh Brown to go up 3-0. The Steelers continued struggling on their next drive, then threw three incompletions and the Steelers punted again to start the second quarter. Alexander started the new drive with a five-yard run. Hasselbeck threw to uh, Jurevicis, got a first down at the 44. Alexander now carried the ball again across midfield, but on third down, Stevens had a pass knocked out of his hands by defensive back Chris Hope. It was close to being a fumble, but it couldn't be reviewed. Seahawks had the kick, and Ruin once again punted for a touchback. Finally, the Steelers got a first down on a pass from Ben to Randall L. Next, Ward took an end around for 17 yards, but then Ben got greedy, he went long, and it was a terrible pass 
found the arms of defensive back Michael Boulware, who got the interception. Fortunately for the Steelers, their defense forced a three and out, and Randall returned the next punt to the 42. Now on third down to start the new drive, Ben escaped pressure and got off a subtle pass for Ward, which he took for 12 yards to the Seattle 43. Next, Ben found receiver Cedric Wilson for a first down at the 22. Bettis took a screen pass for five more yards, but the Steelers were called for offensive pass interference on the play. Defensive end Grant Wistrom sacked Ben, and now the Steelers were looking at third and long. Ben scrambled out to his left, but stayed behind the line of scrimmage. He then threw the ball all the way across the field, something you should never do, but he was rewarded because Heinz Ward came down with the Cats at the three for a first down. Bettis pounded it down to the one on two carries as the half reached the two-minute warning. So now it was third and goal. Ben kept the ball, tried scoring off the left side. He came down right at the goal line. And the officials' first signal was that he was short. Then they changed it. Touchdown. The play went to video review. After reviewing the play, the ruling on the field stood. From my personal look at the play, I think that it probably should have been ruled short, but also that there's no way you could overturn it on replay. Who knows what may have happened if Ben had been ruled a yard short. Maybe Bettis pounds it in on the next play. Maybe Maybe Parker or Ben runs it in. Maybe the Steelers pass for a touchdown. Maybe kicker Jeff Reed kicks an 18-yard field goal. Or maybe they don't score at all. You just never know. But as it stood, the Steelers took a 7-3 lead. The Seahawks got the ball back with a little under two minutes to go. Hasselbeck threw to Jurvisis for a first down to the 46. And then he threw a short pass to Alexander at midfield. Timeout Seattle. Then Hasselbeck threw to Ingram for another first down at the Pittsburgh 40. And then Hasselbeck threw a pass to Jackson. He caught it, but he was out of bounds on the play. Now the Steelers called a timeout to set up their defense. But then for some insane reason we'll never know, Seattle head coach Mike Holmgren called for a simple run up the middle by Alexander. He ran it to the 36 for four yards. That's it. And the clock ran and ran and ran and ran. Kept running, kept running. Soon there's only 13 seconds left. The Seahawks had completely botched the clock. After an incompletion on another Jackson catch out of bounds, the Hawks settled for a 54-yard field goal attempt by Brown, Josh Brown. He missed it wide to the right, and the Seahawks went to the half, trailing the Steelers 7-3, while the Rolling Stones warmed up for the halftime So Pittsburgh started the second half with the ball. Defensive back Ricardo Coakley returned the kickoff to the 25. Ben started out with a pass to Ward that was a bit behind him and it fell incomplete. 
But that's when Willie Parker ripped off the longest run in Super Bowl history, broke right through the line, went 75 yards for a touchdown. Steelers now led 14-3. to Hasselbeck threw a pass to running back Maurice Morris to get to the 35. Then fullback Max Strong took the ball to the 44. Alexander then broke off a run the left, off the left side for 21 yards. But that's about as far as the Seahawks would go. They missed a, Brown missed a 50-yard field goal now, wide to the left, and the Seahawks remained down by 11. The Steelers now drove downfield with all the momentum and the chance of stepping on the Seahawks' throat. Heinz Ward caught a pass barely off the ground for a first down. Ben Bettis ran and um, Ben threw incomplete, but then on third down, Ben found Ward again, and he broke a tackle, got to the 23. Bettis pounded through a big hole, got a first down now at the 10. And it looked like at this point they were just going to keep on handing the Bettis and the bus carried the ball two more times, got down to the six-yard line, and the Steelers were just about to put this Super Bowl in the history books when Ben threw a very bad interception to defensive back Kelly Herndon. He returned it 76 yards all the way to the Pittsburgh 20. That marked the longest interception return in Super Bowl history at the time. Three plays later, Hasselbeck found Stevens open in the end zone for a 16-yard touchdown, and the Seahawks cut their deficit to four points. The Steelers went back to struggling on offense, going three and out on their next two drives. Seattle also went three and out on one drive, but they got the ball back after a Steeler punt at their own two. Alexander ran for five yards, and then Hasselbeck scrambled for a first down at the 16. Hasselbeck then went to tight end Ryan Hannum for a couple of passes. He got a first down. Next, Bobby Ingram caught one for a first down to 48. Third quarter ended one play later. Alexander ran it to the 46. Then Hasselbeck found Ingram for a first down at the 30. Alexander ran for then another seven yards, and then he ran for a first down. And now Hasselbeck went down the seam for Stevens. He caught it at the one-yard line, first and goal for the Seahawks. Wait a minute. No? They were called for holding on the play. ABC, John, ABC announcer John Madden disagreed with the call, but I could see what the official was looking at. It was probably holding... If if a ticky-tack call, maybe, but probably was holding. And then the Seahawks unraveled from that point forward. First, they gave up a sack by Steelers defensive tackle Casey Hampton. Then Hasselbeck threw an interception to defensive back Ike Taylor. To top it off, Hasselbeck got called for a low block foul while making the tackle on the return. That was definitely the wrong call by the officials, but it didn't erase the fact that the Steelers now had the ball. Parker ran it to the 46, and then Randall caught a pass for six yards. 
And then Ben scrambled out of the shotgun, got a first down at the Seattle 43. Then came the trickery. Willie Parker took a reverse. He flipped it back to Randall L. And then he unleashed the bomb downfield. Touchdown. Hines Ward 43 yards out. Steelers now led 21 to 10. Hasselbeck fumbled on a scramble. And defensive back Troy Palmolo fell in it for Pittsburgh. However, Holmgren challenged and he was right. Hasselbeck was down before the fumble. That gave Seattle a first down at the 34. Alexander ran for four more yards. Then Jervis's caught a pass in midfield for a first down. The Seahawks' plans were all messed up when defensive back Desay Townsend came in on a blitz and sacked Hasselbeck on third down. So now it's fourth and 13, six and a half minutes left. Near midfield, trailing by 11, there's only one offset. You got to go for it. Because punting would essentially concede the game to Pittsburgh. So what did Holmgren do? He punted. And now the Steelers' running game could go to work. This drive turned into the Jerome Bettis show. He carried the ball seven times on this drive, with Randall L. getting a first down on a screen pass and Ben getting another first down on a bootleg. Holmgren was forced to use all his timeouts. The Steelers ran the clock down all the way to the two-minute warning, at which point the Seahawks got the ball back after a Chris Gardaki punt into the end zone for a touchback. Hasselbeck threw to Stevens, but inbounds kept the clock running. He hit Jurevicius for a first down to the 39, but by the time he threw a next incomplete pass, there was only a minute left. He threw two more incompletions before connecting on 4th and 10 to Ingram for a first down. He then spiked the ball with 34 seconds left in field goal range. At this point, Holmgren needed to kick the field goal in order to give his his team enough time to try an onside kick and hope to get that necessary touchdown two-point conversion on a Hail Mary or something. But instead, he had Hasselbeck keep throwing the ball. And one of those passes got caught inbounds by Stevens. On the final play of the game for Seattle, Stevens dropped a fourth down pass. That ended the game. The Steelers have matched San Francisco and Dallas with their fifth Super Bowl win, 21-10. Receiver Antoine Randall threw that 43-yard touch on the reward, and it was the most important play of this game. But who was the last non-quarterback to throw a touchdown in a Super Bowl? Well, it came against the Steelers back in Super Bowl fourteen, when running back Lawrence McCutcheon threw a touchdown pass to Ron Smith. That is the answer to today's pop quiz question, as well as my pick for the biggest play of this game. Let's circle back around and talk about the MVP. Heinz Ward was named MVP for catching five passes for 123 yards and a touchdown, as well as running the ball once for 18 more yards. But if I were to give a second place MVP, I'd hand it to Parker. He ran 10 times for 93 yards and a touchdown, and he broke off the longest run 
in Super Bowl history, a mark that still stands. As for the least valuable player, I wouldn't give it to Ben. Even though Ben had an awful day, 9 completions on 21 attempts, with just 123 yards and 2 interceptions for a ghastly passer rating of 22.6, the worst by a winning quarterback in Super Bowl history. No, I'm going to instead give this to kicker Josh Brown of the Seahawks for missing two field goals. Think about it. If he makes both field goals, Seattle is going for the win at the very end there. That could have been a very exciting finish to the game, but he missed both kicks and his team never recovered. The most valuable player on the losing team was Hasselbeck. He completed 26 of 49 passes for 273 yards and a touchdown with an interception but he also rushed for 35 yards on three attempts. Despite his pick, he kept his team in the game, even with receivers dropping balls and kickers failing on kicks. Jackson, by the way, who had five catches in the first quarter to set or tie the Super Bowl record, he never recorded another reception for the rest of the game, though he did catch two passes out of bounds. The best player you don't remember? How about linebacker Larry Foote of the Steelers? He picked up five tackles, including one for a loss. Of these players, you'll remember most of them, but Foote had a solid game, and he wasn't a big name, so maybe and hopefully, for my sake, you don't remember him until now, that is. <laughs> and now you remember him. Uh, the biggest play you don't remember, that has to be... Jackson's catch, his first catch, out of bounds near the end of the first half. He came close to getting his feet in, but he stepped on the out-of-bounds line in the end zone. If he runs that pattern better, maybe he gets both feet in, and it's a touchdown for Seattle. Instead, the Seahawks ended up missing a field goal. And what about those officials? It's easy to say in the heat of the moment that the officials screwed up, but watching this game, I found that every call they made was justified in one way or another. Maybe they didn't make the best calls, but their officiating wasn't nearly as bad as everyone makes it out to be. I give their officiating a C. A passing grade, but not a good one either, but they don't deserve an F, though. And, you know, they didn't cost Seattle this game. Seahawks themselves cost themselves this game. For homework this week, I'm recommending Michael Hawley's book, Heart and Steel, co-written by Bill Cower. You can get it pretty cheap, even though it is a relatively new book. Bill Cower finally got his Super Bowl victory here in Super Bowl 40. I couldn't be happier for him. He deserved that at this moment. It's too bad he stayed one more year and had a poor season because he deserved to go out on top like Bettis did. In any case, Cowers, one guy you gotta love. Next time, we will go into the Purple Rain, the first Super Bowl to be affected greatly by weather. Super Bowl 41 brings excitement from the opening kickoff, and Prince is there to deliver one of the most memorable halftime shows of all time. It's the nine time NFL champion. 
Chicago Bears against the three-time NFL champion Colts, but none of those Colts titles came in Indianapolis. Peyton Manning looks to secure his legacy. It all comes to you in two weeks. For now, you can find my books at TommyAPhillips.com. This is Tommy A. Phillips signing off. So long. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.